Barbara. Is she on? Is yeah. she talking? Yeah. Barbara's talking? Hello. Listen. Hey. Hey <laughs> it's me, Barbara. <laughs> Hello. I'm going to let you guys know about my new nail polish collection coming out next fall. Hey, did you repaint her nail? I oh, didn't. No. no. I need to go buy a new nail polish. She needs a new like fall color or summer color. Yeah. I was thinking yellow, but you know how yellow can sometimes make your skin look like. Yeah, and her gross. skin already looks a little. Looks a little what? A uh, little uh, quirky. She's dead. Yeah, I know. But like. Like, I can't. You can't hear your face on the microphone. Facial expression. Ooh. Yikes. Um, That's what my facial expression is. Which emoji is that? Uh, grimace. The grimace emoji. Yeah. Maybe. The teeth. Like the, or even the one with like the swirly eyes. I think that's more like drunk, isn't it? I would. I've been using it as like a. Yeah. Like a confused thing, like a woo woo, like oh man, like kind of like a, and then on Twitter because you know how Twitter just translates it to its own Twitter like yeah, its emojis. own Twitter emojis, um, translates it to X's in the eyes. So like, hashtag dead, you know. Yeah, so you can't use it in the same way on Twitter. It's similar. Whenever one of the conversations gets a little. Spoopy. <laughs> what the? <laughs> he just like, oh, dead, you know? No? Nope. Nope. Okay. So, welcome to the podcast, Chris. Welcome again. Welcome to our 10th anniversary. It is an anniversary episode. Yes. So Ten glad weeks. that you guys made it here with us this entire time. Yep. Um, so, we wanted to celebrate here by ourselves. <laughs> with no one else. <laughs> with no one else. Well, Except for our intern, Thomas. Our intern is here. And Barbara. <laughs> <laughs> and Ron. Oh, yeah. Um, We're still in with a lot of people. <laughs> yeah, this room is kind of full. <laughs> There's too many people in here. <laughs> there are all, a couple of them are invisible. Oh, sorry. A ghost touched me. <laughs> all the ghosts of people we've talked about. Ew, no, I don't like that. Because we talked about a lot of creepy people. No ghosts allowed. Get out. <laughs> I'll take them. <laughs> no. No. What, are you going to fight him? <laughs> I mean, this is my house anyway. Punch a ghost in the face. Like, bitch, get out. Me. Well, No. We would probably bake cookies together and you write and Je- our novels. You and the ghost of Jeffrey Dahmer? Yeah. Just hanging out, making cookies of – never mind. <laughs> He's a chef. <laughs> I hate that so much. I mean – He makes some uh, unique and <laughs> very – cuisine. <laughs> His own sort of cuisine. Barbara. <laughs> I don't like that at all. It's terrifying. So why did we bring up Jeffrey Dahmer? What do you mean? Because we're going back to our roots. Oh, yeah, yeah. We're returning back to our roots. So for the 10th episode, the um, theme is going back to our roots. And so, so we're having pizza and wine. From what? Uh, everything so we, comes in a box. Yeah, everything comes in a box. So bo- box it up. That's what our, our Boxed up hashtag was. Yeah, there we go. Yeah. Box it up and ready to go. That was uh, our original first podcast. That's what we did. After we also had margaritas, so that was wild, wild, <laughs> full of energy and lots of margaritas and tequila. Um, but yeah, so we're—it's also kind of a throwback episode because we are um, extending two of our episodes to kind of go further in depth of what happened because a lot, of, a lot of our podcasts have come from uh, people who are already live and you know only focus on one person. While both of these episodes we're going to be talking about came from. Uh, a lot of people who were involved. And so we wanted to kind of extend those and kind of see like 
what happened from that. So we're kind of going for a rewind and um, revisit kind of aspect of it. I wanted to pull up, or I wanted to say the names of the episodes that um, we're adding on to, mm-hmm. but I have no idea because I'd never named them anything that's similar to what's <laughs> in the topic. I think yours was episode nine, if I remember correctly. No, episode nine was yours. What? Last one we recorded is yours. Candy Ben? Oh, I'm sorry. And number eight, yeah. So yours is... Number nine. Barbara, please. Barbara, Barbara please. please. Okay. And I think mine might be mayonnaise bread thrown from a car. No, I think that no. was... That was with... Uh, Don't you have the Savannah. descriptions? Here, let me pull it up on uh, Spotify, because I think on the, the Spotify it tells us... Um, oh, I think it's a... double upward commas. Yeah, maybe. Let me see. Uh, uh, technical difficulties. Dun, 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 dun. Play some like elevator music. Stand by <laughs> through the silence while we connect your call. Double, up, double upward commas is uh, Spencer and Chris take a trip to both sides of the Pacific with the yeah. uh, Aoki Gahara Force and the Manson family murders. Yeah, mortars. So, mortars. Mortars, please. <laughs> Okay, so double upward commas and... Barbara, uh, please. Barbara, please. So basically catch up on both of those episodes uh, if you would like to understand what the 10th anniversary episode is. But we will give you a little bit of... uh, Throwback. Throwback will help you along the way. Mm, 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 Um, mm. But we have a lot to cover. We do, yeah. I have five pages. So we'll jump in because the nature of everything is that we'll, of course, get sidetracked at some point, um, have a full discussion that makes no sense whatsoever. Um, so I know some of you guys, uh, specifically you, Julio, I know you're listening to us, uh, have made the comment that sometimes your stories are a little hard to follow, and I say, get over it. Because <laughs> <laughs> it's not our podcast. Our and not and yours. Not yours. <laughs> so, um, yeah, let's jump right in. I okay. think it's me to go first. That's fine. Time. Yeah, go ahead. Right? Yeah. Um, so let me pull up my mm, news. Mm, 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 mm. Get spoopy with it. Let's get spoopy. Mm. So we're going to talk about the most infamous murder and cult case in American history, the Manson family murders. Uh, Chris, have you learned anything since we left? Uh, from the Manson family murders? Mm-hmm. No, I actually had... Um, Nightmares? So, no, uh, I mean, yes, but oh, uh, always from this podcast, especially with Dean. After this, after Jeffrey Dahmer and after Dean Coral, both of them have given me, given me nightmares. You're so. not going to sleep tonight. Probably not, especially talking about the aftermath of everything and going in depth about like how some of these people died, like <laughs> kind of <laughs> rough, rough. <laughs> yeah, um, but no, actually there was a the actually two different instances, but I can't remember either of them right now. That someone had mentioned something about the Manson family. I was like, oh my god, I know, I know them, <laughs> and that was only within the I past love, two weeks. So. I know those people, <laughs> and they're like, oh, do you? <laughs> How old are you? <laughs> it's like I look pretty good for a dead bitch. <laughs> it's because I use their stem cells on my face. So the know. answer is technically yes and no. I have not looked further into it because I knew that you're going to be telling me more about it. So that's what. Oh, oh yeah, that's the stuff. There we go. Oh, how does that move of the microphone go? Oh, it, uh, so nice. Repositioning always makes it feel better. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, I had to hire a moving company for this. Oh yeah. Okay. <laughs> I expect to get my money back. Everyone just had to come in and move one microphone. Okay. Ron, Ron, come get this microphone. <laughs> That'll be four hundred dollars. <laughs> Barbara, I would ask Barbara, but she's just a finger. She's a lightweight. Yeah, she doesn't really. Uh, she doesn't float. It's more of like a thing. Yeah, thing she just kind of crawls. Yeah, the little she's hand. like an inchworm alone. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so wow, and well, I didn't learn anything new about it because I've been studying this thing for years. Yeah, but you don't know, learn anything new about any of these. Because I you, love them all. You know them all. <laughs> I'm just pulling them from yeah. memory. Yeah. 
Uh, so I'm going to give a short recap for anybody that missed the episode, but you do need to go back and watch it because – or listen. You, you can watch, watch it, too. Podcast. If you want to, it's not going to change. Just but. watch the bar. <laughs> on the screen. <laughs> so just pull up Barbara. Uh, if we could, if in the future, if I could ever make that happen, I want Barbara to just the finger just scroll going. across the screen. Um, we're gonna need a graphic designer for that. Uh, so in the late '60s, during the hippie fever, a man named Charles Manson convinced a bunch of young adults to join his cult in promise of a better life in commune with his family, where they would live in nature, have a better spiritual life, and do a lot of drugs. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mind you, these are all educated people. <laughs> educated young people. Mostly. Some of them Yeah, are. okay, some are. Okay. Some of them are, like, he would get anybody. He got, like, 12-year-olds to join. Oh, interesting. Fun. Um, and really, anybody that was like, oh, my God, peace and love. Drug, man. let's do it. <laughs> I just need to experience, like, a higher version of myself. A literally higher. <laughs> do you have, like, a sheet of LSD? <laughs> I just want some, a uh, little bit of, um, what, what's that called? I want a uh, barrel of heroin. Do you have tea? a barrel of it? <laughs> I would like a belt. <laughs> My favorite thing is awkward measurements of things that yes. shouldn't come in those. <laughs> yes. A barrel, please. <laughs> I would like one metric ton. <laughs> no, that's too common. Yeah, that's I would too, like yeah. One. Uh, a truckload, please. <laughs> yes. A large bowl full of cocaine. Um, a, so. a dremel, please. <laughs> Do you guys have a dropper that I can use? Just like an eyedropper. That I'll use for my heroin spoon. <laughs> there was a, we were watching Lady Bunny last night mm. doing her little, da, 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 and then she makes fun of celebrities. Yeah. And she said, uh, what did she say about, he's not listening. That's fine. She said she went to Demi Lovato's house and um, she wanted to use a spoon, but it was too hot. Oh. <laughs> Poor Demi. So we hope that you get help. We love Demi. I hope you come back and make some music as well. Because it's all fire. Yeah. I need another cool for the summer. I need, like, a cool for, for the summer. What is your cool, cool for the summer Cool for the song? summer. What? What is your summer song? Cool. For My summer, summer song? Um, I don't know. I haven't listened to the radio lately. Um, one of the ones that... Do you that get your music from the radio? Yeah, of course I do. Um, <laughs> no, one of the... Hold on. I actually got one that's not from the radio recently that was this kind of lit. And it's on my library. And hold on. I have to go pull it up. Um, liked songs. It's called Where Have You Gone? Parentheses Anywhere by someone named Steve. Oh, no, Lucas and Steve. Oh. It's pretty lit. I'll show you later. Hmm. It's kind of like electronic and kind of funky. And I'm like, mm, I'm into I it. I feel like you would have picked a woman, like a, a female pop star for the song this summer. Well. Because mine's probably Miley Cyrus. I could always Ashley go for Young. Kesha, but... Um, as Ashley O from Black Mirror. Black Mirror, yeah. yeah. On a roll. That song is lit. I also liked Katy Perry's song. That now it's kind of annoying, too. but it's still still good. And then I also like You Need to Calm Down by Taylor Swift. Oh, yeah. That's Just because it's a gay anthem. And also, the Todrick, entire Carly Rae Jepsen album. That too. Uh, Todrick Hall's Nails, Hair, Hips, Heels. I really like that one too. I made Thomas watch the video last night. You like it? I I love I loved it, yeah. but he was like he's not that great of a dancer. I was like he's literally a choreographer. Yeah, he was that's like, what well, he does. Not, it's kind of sloppy. Ooh, okay. is that a read? She <laughs> and then she popped her fan at me. <gasps> no, she didn't. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, he took your fan. <laughs> he grabbed my fan out of my hand, <laughs> tried to throw up it, and then threw <laughs> it on the ground and said, <laughs> and broke the window. <laughs> um, okay, so we've already gotten off. That's fine. <laughs> 
so, yeah, it's going to do- happen 10 more times before you're even done. <laughs> this is like not even a paragraph in. Um, so blah, 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 blah. Uh, once the folks joined the cult, he immediately started having sex with them mm-hmm. and sharing his philosophies. Most important of which was that he believed that a race war named Helter Skelter was approaching in America. And he had the idea to be on the top as it came to fruition. But the race war named Helter Skelter. Uh, af- <laughs> Rewind. <laughs> uh, he believed. What? I don't know how to write in English. Uh, blah, blah. So it was moving too slowly. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he wanted to help it along. Uh, and he convinced his followers to murder nine people. Mm-hmm. First, a drug dealer named Bernard Crow. Second, Bobby Hinman, a man that Manson believed owed him some money. Thirdly, Stephen Parent, Wojciech Brakowski, uh, Abigail Folger, Jay Sebring, and Sharon Tate. And then lastly, Lino and Rosemary LaBianca. Uh, all the while, they were to leave signs at the scenes of the crime to lead police to believe that the murders were committed by Black Panthers and other mm-hmm. groups. So... That brings us to the trial, because obviously they were caught. Mm-hmm. Um, how did scroll so fast? I need to go to that readable version. The uh, read only? Yeah, that's it. That's the stuff. Um, that brings Shit, us that's fresh. <laughs> Shit, that's fresh. <laughs> uh, that brings us to the trials and the murder. Um, that's what has happened uh, to them since their horrendous acts and shook the U.S. and created a panic about hippies and mm-hmm. counterculture in America. So Manson and Susan Atkins were apprehended in a raid on the Spawn Ranch after the officials had learned about their illegal grand theft auto ring and chop shop. So they were taking VW Beetles and they were stealing VW Beetles and they were transforming them into dune buggies and then <laughs> selling them. Oh, which I mean, interesting. I'm glad they have a mechanic. Yeah. Uh, Someone who's intelligent enough to do something like that. I mean, yeah. <laughs> and like high on LSD at the same yeah. time. That's a talent. Yeah. I bet uh, those cars were wild. <laughs> they just immediately explode once you turn them on. When the person driving is like, <laughs> Can I take it for a test drive? Man, I probably wouldn't. <laughs> it's like burned, like stuck to it. Their eyes are like glass. Because <laughs> they didn't use the screen yeah. when they were wild. <laughs> um, so what really set the court case in motion was that Susan Atkins, a dumb bitch, went and told her fellow inmates what she did. Yeah. So she, while she was incarcerated, she told them about uh, Charles Manson. She called him a beautiful cat, yeah. as people did in the late 60s. Meow. <laughs> oh, man, he's a beautiful cat. <laughs> what uh, does it even mean? <laughs> what do we say now? It's a scrumptious little puppy. A snack. <laughs> a, a snack. Snack! <laughs> this is a snack. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so, and the gangs of murders and also how she killed Taryn Tate. Sharon Tate. Um, and how they plan to kill many other celebrities, of which include Elizabeth Taylor, Richard Burton, Tom Jones, Steve McQueen, and Frank Sinatra. Mm. Um, and she's going to do that when she got out. Yeah. Um, so the inmate that she told all of this was like, probably not good. I need to pass this along. Yeah. So she went and told one of the guards, and they forwarded it to the L- LAPD. Okay. Um, so meanwhile, the police are still searching for information about the Tate murders. Uh, they got in contact with the leader of a local biker gang known as the Straight Satan, which is, you know, if I want to join a banker biker gang, I think Straight Satan is probably the way to go. Oh, yeah. Um, I mean, that's like full on, like, I'm just imagining leather. Yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. the, See, the epitome of like a grungy biker gang that's going to kill someone. Uh, 
when I was little, my mom had a meatloaf CD, <laughs> and <laughs> um, the the I don't remember what the name of the album was, but it's like a man on a motorcycle with wings flying towards the top of a building that has a bat on it, and that's what I picture. Yeah. Okay, I can see that. Do you, do you like meatloaf? Uh, I mean, I don't think so. He sings, I would do anything for love, but I won't do that. Yeah, I know that song. But he never tells you what he wouldn't do. Yeah, he he just won't do that. He's just not gonna. Yeah. So stop asking. Yeah. He's uh, just not going to. Chris, I don't want to know. Chris, stop asking. <laughs> he doesn't want to tell us. Yeah, that's fine. Um, so He's already tried to tell us multiple times, but he I just wasn't, wasn't clear. Yeah, anything, yeah. No. Uh, so they questioned the leader, and he mentions um, some key details that Manson discussed with him that no one, save the investigators, uh, would know about the murders. Namely, bloody messages left at the scene. Mm-hmm. Uh, he also went on to say that Manson had told them that they killed five little piggies, and they needed to know how to decompose a body. Oh. As you do. Yeah. Um, so from the information they received by Atkins uh, in the confessional, the police moved forward with the investigation, and on December 1st, 1969, warrants were issued for the arrests of Tex Watson, Patricia Krenwinkel, Leslie Van Houten, and Linda Kasabian. Mm-hmm. Atkins, of course, was already in jail, and she was to be charged accordingly. Uh, Van Houten was picked up for questioning in California. Tex Watson was arrested in McKinney, Texas. Wow. He, yeah. Uh, Krenwinkel. He made it all the way to the border of Texas? South border. Krenwinkel was apprehended in Mobile, Alabama. Wait, McKinney's not in South Texas. I'm thinking McAllen. McKinney's in North Texas. Isn't that by Dallas? I don't know where is. I think it's in Dallas. Um, but Tex Watson's from Texas, so mm-hmm. I assume it's oh, okay. hometown. Makes sense. Krenwinkel in Mobile, Alabama, and Linda Kasabian surrendered to the local police in Concord, New Hampshire. Wow. Yeah. They all made it very far from California. So, yeah. Whenever they disbanded and they found the chop shop and, and the auto theft ring at Spawn Ranch, yeah. pretty much everyone was like, well, I guess we should go. Yeah, we should, probably shouldn't be here anymore. We shouldn't stick around here because yeah. uh, shit's going down. Wow. Um, so by this time, they had collected a lot of the evidence from the Tate and LaBianca residences, and a uh, 10-year-old boy who lived near the Tate residence found a twenty-two caliber handgun near the ha- Tate home and submitted it to the police. Good for him. Look at a little 10-year-old. He figured shit out. So, well, I had also read that I didn't include, but um, he would t- gave it to his dad, and the dad like kept calling LAPD, and they were like, Probably not important. Yeah, that's not, that's not important. And then they finally gave out the address um, of, of where they of found the it. And they're like, oh, fuck. And they were like, no. <laughs> but for real, though, come get this yeah, gun. Yeah, we, we need this right now. Um, so this led news organizations to flood the area. Uh, and pretty soon, the news organizations had found bloody clothes that the family had discarded when they fled, fled the scene. So oh, my gosh. Media. So basically, the police were doing a shitty job that – Everyone else had to do for them. So, I mean, this is also the time of the Zodiac Killer where police stations don't talk to each other. So if uh-huh. you're in a different district, they don't share information. Ooh. So the LaBiancas were in a different uh, jurisdiction than mm-hmm. the Tate murder. So the two police forces were not working together. Mm. Uh, if they had, they probably would have gotten it done quicker. Yeah. Um, so there would be like a little evidence there, a little evidence there, a little evidence mm-hmm. there, and just eh. – yeah. We'll research our own thing. And they'll call, and they'll be like, do you have anything on this? And they'll say... No, because they no. wanted the notoriety for figuring out the murder. Yeah. Stupid bitches. Yeah. So when we do the Zodiac Killer, we'll get really in-depth in that. Because oh it's very, very important yeah. in that case. Uh, so, blah, 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 blah. They've got some pretty solid evidence against the Manson followers, but nothing really concrete on Manson yet. 
Um, so July 15th, 1970, the trial begins. The prosecution's main witness was Linda Kasabian. So she, uh, she had agreed to um, testify yeah. and tell everything she knows about it in, in uh, trade for immunity. Um, which you have to take her word for it, but I mean, from what I, all of the things that I've ever seen, I'm not sure that she was a participant. She was definitely there. Yeah. And she definitely helped by like driving them to places and saying, this is the place we're going to hit. But, but from everything, she, it doesn't say that doesn't she say had that actually... She actually stabbed anybody. Mm. Um, so, Kasabian uh, and who, along with Manson, Atkins, Krenwinkel, had been charged with seven counts of murder and one count of conspiracy. Uh, blah, blah, blah. Mm. Originally, a deal had been made with Susan Atkins uh, in the pro prosecution, uh, had agreed not to seek the death penalty against her uh, in exchange for her grand jury testimony on which the indictments were secured. But once Atkins had repudiated the testimony, the deal was withdrawn. Mm -hmm. um, and because Leslie Van Houten had only participated in the LaBianca killings, she was only charged with two counts of murder and one charge of conspiracy. Um, originally, Judge William Keene had reluctantly granted Manson permission to act as his own attorney. <laughs> uh, because Why? Because he's fucking nuts. Oh, my God. Uh, because of So Manson, he requested to be like, I want to be, be my own attorney. Good luck, bitch. Because he, he drugged out. I mean, he's got holes in his brain from all the acid that he did. He thought he was Jesus. And he still thought he was at this point. Yeah. Thinking that he's he like, thought he was Jesus until he died. Oh, my God. God. Which I'm going to tell you at the end, but yes, Charles, yeah. Charles Manson is dead. <gasps> Spoiler. Uh, <laughs> but because of Manson's conduct, including violations of a gag order and a submission of outlandish and nonsensical pretrial motions, <laughs> uh, the permission was withdrawn before the trial even started. Good. Uh, Manson filed an affidavit of prejudice against Keene, who was replaced by Judge Charles H. Older. Uh, on Friday, July 24th, the first day of the testimony, Man Manson appeared in court with an X carved into his forehead. Uh, he issued a statement that he was considered inadequate and incompetent to speak or defend himself, and he had X'd himself from the establishment's world. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, yeah, just take an X to your forehead, and then yeah. you don't have Ca to participate Carving in a nice, bloody X in your head, and you're like, this, is, this isn't really happening, so why am I here? Mm -hmm. Duh, bitch. So, over the following weekend, the female defendants duplicated the mark on their forehead uh, as does, did most family members uh, in, within another day or so. My God! Mm. And later, Manson replaced his ex with a swastika. Excellent. Uh, the prosecution placed the triggering of Helter Skelter as the main motive. The crime scene's bloody white album references Pig, Rise, Helter Skelter were uh, correlated with testimony about Manson's predictions that the murders blacks would commit uh, at the outset of Helter Skelter would involve the writings of pigs on walls in victims' bloods. Uh, How do you get that from the song Helter Skelter? I have no idea. I don't either. <laughs> because I went back and listened to that, and I was like, what the fuck? Yeah. <laughs> How many holes did you have in your brain for you to understand that as a hidden message? Well, he's also incredibly racist. Yeah, So of course. <laughs> he's... I mean, he's drawing that from that somehow. Yeah. He's using his own mind and putting it in that song. His fucked up mind that's apparently unlocked from all those drugs. Yeah. Fucking Swiss cheese. Oh, boy. Uh, so <laughs> testimony said that um, Manson had said, now is the time for Helter Skelter. It was supplemented with Kasabian's testimony on that. Uh, 
that on the night of the LaBianca murders, Manson considered discarding Rosemary LaBianca's wallet in the street of a black neighborhood. Having obtained the wallet in the LaBianca house, he wanted a black person to pick it up and use the... Or this is this is verbatim from the... Testimony. Yeah. But... <laughs> um, <laughs> wanted a black person to pick it up and use the credit card so that the people, the establishment, would think that it's some sort of an organized group that killed these people. Uh, on his direction, Kasabian had hidden it in the women's restroom of a service station near a black area. He said, quote... I wanted to show Blackie how to do it. Oh, my God. Yeah. So he is way beyond racist. Yeah. I mean, God, I can't. So, yeah, in, in his mind, he had said that he thought that black people were going to take over the United States, but they were going to be too in, in, inept to deal with running a country. So <clears throat> they were going to be hid in a cave, and the black people were going to be like, well, we don't know how to do this. Let's go find a white person. They're underground in a cave, and they're like, white people right here. And the, the black people are going to be like, all right, you're the ruler of America. So he thought that he was going to hide his family in a cave somewhere. Uh-huh. And that once, you know. The race war black, was over. Yeah. What the fuck? <laughs> LSD is a hell yeah. of a drug, apparently. Well, any drug is a hell of a drug. Shit. I mean, I'm sure they're doing everything. Wow. Yeah. Lord. Uh, so... <clears throat> Manson said that uh, family members had driven along after the departure from... Wait. (laughs) Okay, that's not important. Uh, During the trial, family members loitered near the entrances and the corridors of the courthouse to keep them out of the courtroom uh, itself. Some of the prosecution subpoenaed them as protective witnesses, so they didn't want them to be outside so that the news could see them, so they said they're witnesses, but they're protected, so they have to... They They can't can't talk to the media. Yeah. So they just sequester them. Yeah, that's good. That's smart. Yeah, yeah, because then if they were standing outside, they'd be propaganda, you know, getting people to support Manson and all that stuff. Which and a lot of them still were out there. Yeah. Um, so when the group established itself in a vigil on the sidewalk, each of the hardcore members wore a sheathed hunting knife that, being in plain view, was carried illegally. Uh, each of them was also identifiable by the X on their forehead. Um, God, they're so stupid. I'm just going to hang out outside the court with an X on my forehead and, and a, a giant knife. knife. In my pocket. Yeah. Nobody's going to be any wiser. Um, some family members attempted to dissuade witnesses from testifying. Prosecution witnesses Paul Watkins and Juan Flynn were both threatened. Watkins was badly burned in a suspicious fire in his van. Former wait, fam- wait, witnesses? Mm-hmm. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Uh, former family member Barbara Hoyt, who was in the, the, the family family uh, who had overheard Susan Atkins describing the Tate murders to family member Ruth Ann Morehouse agreed to accompany the latter to Hawaii. Once uh, they were there, Morehouse allegedly gave her a hamburger spiked with several doses of LSD found sprawled on a Honolulu curb in a drugged semi stupor. Hoyt was taken to the hospital where she did her best to identify herself as a witness in the Tate LaBianca murder trial before the incident. Hoyt had been a reluctant witness. After the attempt to silence her, her reticence disappeared. Yeah. Good. Um, so they tried to kill her. Tried to kill her. Get her, get her overdose. Mm-hmm. Um, and or at least make her look like a druggie. Yeah. In a different so state. That no that believe, her, so that yeah, no one would believe. Yeah, no one would believe her. Ugh. Yeah, they were, they're wild. Yeah. 
I mean, because I mean, they're I'm sure they're just outside. Like, who's gonna be our enemy next? Like, let's fucking kill anyone who's gonna stand against our dad. Basically, the one yeah. that we're who, that they're still obsessing over. Still obsessed with. Oh my god! I don't know what the fuck he said to these people. I don't know. Uh, nobody could ever say something to me so that was no. profound enough. We talked about this in the last episode because uh, I listened to it today. Um, like I mentioned that there was or not two episodes two episodes ago um, that. Like, no one could try and convince me of something that badly that I'd just be like, yeah, I'll follow you anywhere. Like, I'm just not that kind of person. I'm a free thinker. I learn for myself. I'm a facts and figures kind of guy. So I can't wrap my mind around these ideas of cults. Like, it makes no sense to me that you could just be that blindly, like, following of this. I mean, I kind of think the Republican Party is very similar to that. But, oh, but. (laughs) Ron, cut that. Yeah. Um, But, I mean, like, that's what i see you know so i i just can't i don't understand yeah anyway i mean i guess i mean the only thing that i could attribute it to is that they're drugged out of their mind yeah and they're still on lsd outside of the courtroom well acid apparently is one of those things that keeps coming back in your system maybe i don't know someone had mentioned i heard that before but i don't know if that's true true. yeah i need to look that up yeah i have no idea um anyways so on august 4th uh despite precautions taken by the court Manson flashed a jury uh, a Los Angeles Times front page whose headline was Nansen guilty, Nixon declares. Uh, this was a reference to Nixon the as in the president. president. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is a reference to a statement made the previous day when U.S. President Richard Nixon had decried what he saw in the media's glamorization of Manson. You said decried? Decree? It's DRC. Decree. I took it from the place. <laughs> but decree would be D-E-C-R-E-E-D. No. Decreed. Whatever. That's kind of like me with writhing. Writhing? <laughs> Shut up. Uh, okay, guys. Podcast's over. Um, I'm going to put Chris on so the So when I make fun off. of you, <laughs> the podcast is over, but when you make fun of me, it's, it's just It's hilarious. <gasps> oh, my God. Now the podcast is over. You've dropped the mic. It's fine. <laughs> And we're back. <laughs> so we're accepting auditions for new co-hosts. Starting. I thought we already were like four episodes ago. Yeah, but now I'm serious. Okay. Uh, Is it going to follow over again? I'm scared. Blah, 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 blah. <laughs> the next day, the female defendant stood up and said in unison that in light of Nixon's remark, there was no point with this going to trial. Yeah, because you already know he's guilty. Yeah, but it's already started. You can't say it can't go to trial. It's already in trial. Yeah. And literally in the middle of it. Yeah. So uh, later, October 5th, Manson was denied the court's permission to question a prosecution witness whom the defense attorneys had been declined to cross-examine. Jumping over the defense table, Manson attempted to, t- attempted to attack the judge. Wrestled to ground by the bailiffs, he was removed from the courtroom with the female defendants who had subsequently risen and begun chanting in Latin. Thereafter, Older allegedly began wearing a revolver under his robes. Who did? The judge. Oh my gosh! So he was ready to shoot the bitch. Yeah, awesome. Well, he's coming out. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I'm just saying, like, it's definitely like possible also, now. If that somebody's that... chanting at me in Latin, witches. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> Hold on a sec. The okay. dog is barking, and then I'll cackle. Okay. And I. Ten titties. Stop. Ten titties. Ten titties. 
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, and we're back. <laughs> uh, on November 16th, the prosecution rested its case. And three days, three days later, later. Oh, my God. Three days later. <laughs> three days later. Uh, there's a episode of Ah uh, where <laughs> Trixie starts trying to say her thing that she says at the beginning. Doesn't she mess up like five times? She messes up like five <laughs> times. And she's like, I'm the, but I'm the, nope, I'm not it. Nope. I feel like that's us like reading. We're just like, and I, what? <laughs> what but, they're not drinking wine, so that's my excuse. That's true. They're drinking Red Bull, which we are. I mean, dead. yeah, we're we're already <laughs> wired. And so I'm over here like oh shaking. Like, what's the next thing we can say? What's how do I be funny now? <laughs> you guys hear the table vibrating? That's just us because my legs. It's like a constant, moving. just like. <laughs> I'm the one with the nervous leg. <laughs> That's the whole time. Um, so, blah blah. blah. Uh, three days later, after arguing standard dismissal motions, uh, the defense stunned the court by resting as well without calling a single witness. Wow. Uh, shouting. Because they had already made their, their decision, basically. Well, also, it doesn't say this, but I think the defense lawyers were like, there's not much we can do. Especially after you just jumped over the fucking table and yeah. tried to attach a, attack a judge. Like, you look crazy. Yeah, you me. are crazy. And, um... Yeah, I don't think that. I mean, the media had already got like gone in on them. Yeah, and I don't think they're wrong. Yeah, I mean that's probably the first time where the media has like taken something and put their spin on it to where, if the courts don't like go in line with the what the media is, all the people, people are gonna die. People are gonna go wild about it. Yeah, burn their houses down. Yeah, kill them. Um, so, blah, da, da, Atkins, Kernwickel, and Van Houten demanded the right to testify. Mm-hmm. So, in the chambers, the women's lawyers told the judge their clients wanted to testify, and they had planned and committed the crimes. Uh, they they were going to go testify, and they were going to say, he didn't do anything. I did him. I wow. did it all. So, they were all going to take the fall for this crazy-ass man. Mm-hmm. Yep. By resting the case, uh, the defense lawyers had tried to stop this. Mm-hmm. Uh, Van Houten's attorney, Ronald Hughes, vehemently uh, stated that he would not push a client out the window. Uh, in the prosecutor's view, it was Manson who was advising the women to testify in this way as a means of saving himself. How was he communicating with them, though? How were they allowing this? I think I don't, it never really says, but I think they were allowed to visit him. I don't I mean, he's in what, like county jail. He's not. He's not guilty yet. Yeah. I guess so, because um, everyone's allowed a fair trial. Yeah, and they're all on the same team as defendants, so they must have at least their lawyers communicating with each other. Uh, so I mean, th- I feel like that would be, as we're going to see here, they didn't, like, in my case with Dean Cor- Coral and, like, Hindley and Brooks, like, they weren't allowed to communicate with each other. Yeah. So, like, they didn't know what was happening here, which we'll see in a minute. So, like, I feel like that should be the, the exact same situation. Well, I mean, there's nine people dead because of them. There should be, like, separation of every single one of them so that they can figure out from each one, like, what their stories were and then figure out what's happening here. Why are they letting them communicate with each other? You should watch Big Little Lies. Um, <laughs> so what year is yours again? Uh, 1973. Okay. I so mean, this they is only a few years. Out, I mean, they could have decided that after doing this trial. Yeah. This is 1970 and 71. Yeah. Um, so in, in, a tri- or in a documentary in 1987 – Patricia Krenwinkel says that the entire proceeding was scripted by Charlie. Um, the next was scripted by – is that what you say? Scripted. Scripted, yeah. Yeah, like he planned it all. Yeah, out. like this is what you need to say. Yeah. Which, which means that they're all communicating with each other. Yeah. He's like, you need to say exactly this. That That's not 
no. Okay. <laughs> That's not right. That's, I mean, it's, what, 50 years after this whole yeah. incident? And they're all, girl. you know, dead and in jail and all that stuff. But oh, and that's all, not all of them are dead. Um, well, the they're next all in day, jail still, right? Yes. Okay, good. Uh, well, not Lindsay Kasabian, but. Yeah. Hmm. Uh, the next day, Manson testified. Lest he violate this California Supreme Court's decision in People versus Aranda by making statements implicating his co-defendants, the jury was removed from the courtroom. Uh, speaking for more than an hour, Manson said, among things, that the music is telling the youth to rise up against the establishment, he said. Why blame it on me? I didn't write the music. To be honest with you, Manson also stated, I don't recall ever saying, get a knife and go get a change of clothes and go do whatever text says. On January 25th, 1971, guilty. So he was blaming the, the blaming text. Them. Yeah. Blaming the women and Ted yeah. Watson. Um, and I'm sure they were like, yes, yeah, like, do that, yeah. We thought of that. Yeah. We wanted to go murder people. Yeah. Um, on January 25th, 1971, guilty verdicts were returned against four defendants on each of the 27 separate counts against them. Uh, not far into the trial's penalty phase, the jurors saw at last the defense that Manson, in the prosecution's view, had planned to present. Uh, Atkins, Krenwinkel, and Van Houten testified that the murders had been conceived as a copycat version of the Hinman murders, for which Atkins now took credit. The killings, they said, were intended to draw suspicion away, suspicion away from Bobby Beausoleil by resembling the crime for which he had been jailed. So they were saying, we did it so that it wouldn't look like the guy who was arrested when I was talking about it last time. Wait, who got arrested? Bobby Beausoleil. Got was arrested. he part of the family? Yeah. Okay. He got arrested for killing uh, Hinman. Okay. I don't remember. Was that was like one of the first ones, right? Yeah, that was the second one. Like he's he was the one who killed the guy in the car. Yeah, no, that was I thought that was Watson that killed him. What? No, that yeah, well that's 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 part of the Tate murders. Yeah, Gary Hinman was uh, he was <coughs> excuse me like not part of the family. He was only there sometimes, and I think he was hanging out with them when they were hanging out with the Beach Boys. Oh, yeah. Um, and apparently he got some inheritance. And Charlie Manson said, oh, that's our money. Give us our money. And uh, I don't remember he that. was like, hell no. Did you talk about this? Yeah. Uh, I guess I have to re listen to the episode. Um, <clears throat> so he said, hell no, I'm not giving you that. And so mm -hmm. he sent Bobby Beausoleil and Susan Atkins to go to murder kill him. him. And okay. they cut his ear off with a saber. Do you remember that? Oh, yeah. Okay. 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 Yeah, I do remember that. Yeah. Um, so, blah, blah, blah. The plan had supposedly been uh, the work of and carried out under the guidance of not Manson, but somebody allegedly in love with Beausoleil, Linda Kasabian. Oh, boy. So, so they were trying to say that the person her. who was in charge of everything, was or Linda I'm sorry, the person who was giving all the details to the police. Was Linda Kasabian. Yeah. And they said that she she's the mastermind. Um, among the narrative's weak points was the inability of Atkins to explain why. Mm -hmm. uh, as she was maintaining she had written political piggy at, at Hayman's house at the first place and she was like they were like why did you do that did she tell you to do that and she was like no I just did it just felt like that was the thing to do oh boy uh, midway through the penalty phase Manson shaved his head and trimmed his beard to a fork while they're telling him he's what, guilty yeah. but he's gonna be charged in now. the courtroom oh he's no, doing no, no. It. oh he came in the next day oh okay okay um, so he said, I am the devil and the devil always has a bald head. Uh, Except for a fork. Yeah. 
Well, a forked beard. Like. Oh, okay, okay. Sorry, I thought you said a fork in his head. Oh, no. Boy, I... It would be better. Apparently, the wine is making my ears listen to weird things. <laughs> LOL. Shaved his head and trimmed his beard to a fork. Oh, okay. I heard um, it the opposite way. <laughs> I should have wrote a pitchfork. Yeah. Um, it's too late. Yeah. Uh, prosecution regarded this as a belated recognition on their part as an imitation of Manson only to prove his domination. Mm-hmm. Uh, the female defendants refrained from shaving their heads until the jurors retired to weigh the state's request and the death penalty. Oh, so then they shaved so their heads. So then they shaved their heads. Yeah, you should see the pictures of them. It looks like I think you sent you sh- showed me a video last time. Of them with they, their shaved heads? Yeah, head. yeah. They look crazy. That's what I think aliens look like. Yeah. After they storm Area 51, we'll find out. Right. <laughs> um, so in an effort to exonerate Manson via the copycat scenario failed, uh, on March 29th, tw- uh, 1971, the jury returned verdicts of death against all four defendants on all counts. Um, on April t- 19th, 1971, Judge Older sentenced the four to death. Wow. Um, in California, too, nonetheless. Yeah, but that's 1971, so it was still legal. legal. The- okay. On the day the ver- verdicts recommended the death penalty were returned, the news came that the badly decomposed body of Ronald Hughes... One of the lawyers of Leslie Van Houten had been found wedged between two boulders in Ventura County. Oh, my God. It was rumored, although never proven, that Hughes was murdered by the family, possibly because he stood up to Manson and refused Van Houten to take the stand and absolve Manson of the crimes. Though he might have perished in flooding, um, family member Sandra Good stated that Hughes was the first of the retaliation murders. Wow. The first. The first. So that means even though these people have been sentenced to death, the family is now like, fuck, I'm pissed. Yeah. Oh, boy. Uh, Protracted proceedings to extradite Watson from his native Texas, where he had resettled a month before his arrest, resulted in his being tried separately. Mm -hmm. Uh, So he was tried in Texas. Uh, The trial commenced on August 1971. By October, he, too, had been found guilty on seven counts of murder and one of conspiracy. Unlike the others, Watson had presented a psychiatric defense. Prosecutor Vincent Bugliosi made short work of the Watson's insanity claims. Like his co-conspirators, Watson was sentenced to death as well. Uh, In February 1972, the death sentences of all five parties were automatically reduced to life in prison by California v. Anderson, in which the Supreme Court said that the death penalty is not legal. So because they hadn't been killed yet, the Supreme Court was like, it's don't kill them. Yeah. That sucks. And I don't know how that happened to Tex Watson, but mm-hmm. apparently since he was charged in California but tried in Texas. It's technically through the state of California. Yeah, so he's not under the death penalty. Because it was the state of California versus Tex Watson, basically. Yeah. So. Um, so, blah, blah, blah. Though he eventually found temporary exceptions from the Aryan Brotherhood in uh, prison, Manson's rhetoric and hippie speeches, speeches were not accepted at first. Um he was his role was submissive to a sexually aggressive member of the group at San Quentin. Oh boy! Uh, after, if you remember, callback to the last episode, he abused a guy in the juvenile prison with a razor to his neck. Yeah, yeah. Him. So now the, there's the opposite happening to him. Yeah, yeah. That's funny. So on September fifth, nineteen seventy-five, this family skyrocketed skyrocketed back to national attention when Squeaky Fromm. We said 1975, so this is four years after the verdicts? Yeah. Wow. This girl, Lynn Squeaky Fromm, attempted to assassinate U.S. President Gerald Ford. (laughs) 
the attempt took place. And he's place. part of the, or this person, Squeak. She's part of the family. She was. She well. was one of the main ones left. Hmm. Um, an attempt took place in Sacramento, to which she and follower, also Sandra Good, who said that that was when they said that they murdered uh, Robert Hughes. The one Probably. found in the rocks? Yeah, Ronald Hughes. Um, she's also there with her. Um, they had moved to uh, Sacramento to get closer to Manson because he's at Folsom Street State Prison. Um, since, uh, yeah, Brom was sentenced to 15 years to life, became the first person sentenced under United States Code Title 18, Chapter 84, 1965, which made it a federal crime to attempt to assassinate the president of the United oh States. Oh, my gosh. So the, she was the first person that was like, you're going to die because you try to kill the president. Yeah. Good. Um, yeah, that's really the trial. Charlie Manson died in prison in late 2017. Susan Atkins. Wait, that was recent. Like mm-hmm. last year, Charles Manson died? Two years ago. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, are you having a time? Yeah, apparently. Uh, Susan Atkins died. Did I, sorry, interrupt. Did I ever tell you about the time that I got super drunk in Galveston and cried because I thought it was 2013? Uh, was that the same time that you thought the cow was talking to you? No, that was a different time. That wasn't Galveston. That was up in the uh, middle of country between here and College Station. But I'm the crazy one. Yeah, exactly. Uh, no, it was, we were down in Galveston and we got drunk for Art Walk, which is the thing that happens like one every one and a half months, so every six weeks. Um, they have like a big Art Walk thing that you go and you drink free wine from art exhibits and pretend to like art. Um, and so uh, I got really drunk and we were walking home. And then my friend took me to Whataburger, and apparently I asked her, like, what year is it? And she's like, 2019. I was like, oh, my God. I thought it was 2013. And, like, I started crying because I thought it was. Wait, that was this year? Yes. That was, like, two, three months ago. Oh, my God, girl. Yeah. It was back in May, maybe? Maybe April? Hmm. Yeah, it was rough. (laughs) How drunk were you? I was very drunk. (laughs) And, like, because I had gotten drunk on wine. Then we went to a brewery after that. And I got drunk on beer. And you know how I don't like beer. <laughs> you had so much wine that you were like, this is a, this beer is fine. Fine. This is fine. But of course I drank like a, a, a porter or something like that. It's like a really dark <laughs> beer. You whatever's got the most liquor in it. Was, it definitely had the most alcohol. I think it was like 11%. So it's basically like drinking more wine. And so I just got shmammered. <laughs> LOL. Yeah. At least I cry about things that are important. I don't. <laughs> I cry about demons and cows and wishing that it was 2013. I just... Did it ripcord and cry about a friend that came out in high school before me? Why was he so? He was so his life was so hard, and mine was not as hard. Yep. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm memories. just empathetic. Okay. Yeah. Classic. So Susan Atkins died also in 2009. Okay. She died way before him. So only like five years ago. Well, I'm just kidding. So, uh, no, that's eight years. That's ten years. 2009 is ten years ago. He died in 2017. Oh. No. Yeah. What? She no, died no, in I meant... I always thought you were trying to get the difference between when they died, because that's what I'm trying to tell you. No. Because Charlie Manson was like 32. Susan Atkins was like 24, 25 maybe when she went to jail. Mm-hmm. So. She died. Whoa. She died way before him. Yeah. yeah. I don't know how he stayed alive so long. Yeah. He was born in 19... 1943. Yeah. 1940s. Yeah. So. He lived a long Christ, time. Christ, why are you alive so long, you yeah. demon bastard? Yeah. Anyway. Well, I mean, especially with the amount of like drugs that destroyed his brain, you feel like he should probably be dead. Well, and also, I didn't write a, lo- a whole lot about it, but they always took like interviews from him, like every once 
maybe five years, he'd be like, okay, I'll do an interview. <laughs> and he'd come on and he'd be like, I just don't know why you – he'd like go fucking nuts. And um, then he'd like be like, I'm telling you the way it is. You're not listening to the way I'm telling you how it is. This is what happened. This is what happened. And they're like, you were convicted. So that's what happened. Yeah. And he's like, this interview's over. <laughs> okay, bye. Um, because we know the truth. The yeah. Oprah. So what's the truth? <laughs> <laughs> Tell me what's the tea, girl. What's the, what's that's the how tea, I would go Annie? into the hey, interview. Bitch. <laughs> hey, bitch. What's the tea? And he's like, ugh. <laughs> <laughs> Gay people. <laughs> uh, so Tex Watson, still alive. Oh. Uh, he's incarcerated at Richard J. Donovan Correctional Facility in San Diego. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was recently denied parole in 2016 for okay. the next five years. Uh, he'll be eligible again in October of 2021. Um, he, This is what I found nuts. So he, with the assistance of some volunteers, published content on a website known as Abounding Love Ministries that detail his coming to God journey. It's a literal website. What did we talk about with Jeffrey Dahmer? Whenever Jeffrey Dahmer was in jail, he, like, saw Jesus and all this other stuff. No. You don't go through and you kill all those people or, in I mean, Jeffrey Dahmer's case, eat them. And, like, you, you just – you don't discover God and think that you're perfectly fine. Like, yeah, no. Yeah, with him, definitely not. With this guy, he was on LSD the whole time. Mm-hmm. So maybe I could see that he would have some sort of, you know, regret of what he did. Mm-hmm. Um, and well, I mean, it's all an act to make the parole board look. Of course, like he's, yes. Sorry for his yes, parents. exactly. Um, Using religion to your own personal gain. You don't. Yeah. Not, none of that matters yeah. to you. You're just trying to make yourself look like a pretty, like good. Christian. Yeah, exactly. No. Trying to gain sympathies. For no people. I mean, especially if you're trying to do it in California. Yeah. California is like the worst place for the. Te- if you were doing it in like Kentucky, West Virginia, maybe Texas, you know, Louisiana, Alabama, like all of a sudden, like, oh, sweetheart, you bless your heart. You definitely, you're doing great. And like, well, no. he's from Texas. So he's like, it would work in Texas. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Let me try it here. Yeah, not in California, girl. Uh, <laughs> not going to happen. They're all gays. They're just like, mm, ew. Gross. No. <laughs> you I killed can't people. Believe you. <laughs> you're disgusting. <laughs> You're not allowed in this place. You're icky. Gross. <laughs> and it's he's incarcerated in, what did I say, San Francisco? San Diego, I think. Ah, oh, San Diego. Yeah. If it was San Francisco, the guys would be like, <laughs> no, nice bitch. try, bitch. <laughs> um, it's like, I ain't no dumb bitch. <laughs> who, who do you think you're talking to? <laughs> um, Patricia Krenwinkel is still incarcerated in California Institute for Women in Chino, California. Okay. Uh, she was recently denied parole in June 2017 for the next following five years. Mm-hmm. Uh, eligible for parole, parole in 2022. Uh, she is the longest incarcerated woman in California at 71 years old. Wow. She spent, she's been in jail for 50 years, yep. almost. Most of her life. Yeah. Um, Leslie Van Houten is still in jail as well. She has applied <laughs> for parole 22 times. She has been recommended for parole three times. And all attempts have been vetoed by the governor of California. Good. Most recently, January 30th of this year. Good. And that's what happened with the Manson trial. Keep him in jail. Yeah, honestly. And Krenwickle, not Krenwickle, Kasabian is still alive right. and out there? Yep. Damn. She lives in, I think I read, I think I read that she still lives in New Hampshire. Maybe that or Rhode Island. Hmm. Well, good for her getting away from all that. I mean, I'm sure, I don't know. She, 
It, I mean, you keep going back to the drugs thing. I just keep going back to the you killed people thing, and I just can't imagine that. Oh, she lives in Maine. Oh. She probably lives in the middle of fucking nowhere, Maine, to avoid everyone and everything so that no one can find her. Biddeford? Biddeford? Oh, my God. I I think I'm going to drive through this town. Are you going to? (laughs) That's awesome. Because you're flying into Maine. Yeah, Portland. And then you're going to drive. That's awesome. I hope you drive through it and be like, (laughs) (laughs) you should should make your parents stop and take a picture at the city sign. No, No, you're not? Oh, darn. it's, It's south of Portland. Damn. Because I was going to say, take a picture, and then you can post it on our Spoopy Podcast. That's our Spoopy Podcast <laughs> at what? Instagram and Facebook. And our Spoopy at Twitter. <laughs> and also our SpoopyPodcast.com. <laughs> Check us out. Interesting. Wow. Yeah. So, so I don't know. I Like I was saying, I look back at this, and I just look at all of these um, murders, and, like, you were a part of all of that. And I understand that there's, like, a, you know, legal thing to try and get people to, like, spill all the beans and you know try and entice them to that to do that but i feel like she should have been gotten something At negative to her too. yeah I, I mean shit she was a participant in all of this even though she didn't actually kill anyone like you still watched everyone and didn't stop anyone from doing anything or tell the police that this shit was happening like yeah but with the the amount of crazy that all these people had yeah. i don't think they would have gotten the full story unless no. they had gotten somebody like said i'm not oh, yeah you won't go to jail if you tell me yeah. everything yeah which if you're mm-hmm. involved and somebody's like you'll get you'll get off scot-free yeah yeah that's true i mean but only if you tell us absolutely everything and we have to believe you too especially with the, these people that are like you know fucked up on drugs and just like wild as hell yeah that they're like what's well, you know par- probably paranoid out of their fucking minds especially if they're so doped up on drugs that they are now killing people that are involved in the trial like also, Linda Kasabian was one of the youngest ones. Uh-huh. So, I mean, I think at the time, what, what year was she born? Um, 49? So she would have been 21? 20. She would have been 20 when the murders happened. And then 21 when the trial was happening. Yeah. Wow. So she was the youngest of the family, so they were like, Oh no, she wasn't the youngest. Oh, of not of the family. The youngest, youngest of the ones of the involved. Yeah, 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 yeah. I think the, the ones youngest involved. person that he had was twelve years old. Oh my god, and probably had sex with them too. Oh, he hundred percent had sex with them. Oh, I watched an interview with her, and she was like, "Yeah, I met Charlie one day, and blah blah blah. I was twelve years old." And she was like, "When did you have sex with Charlie Manson?" She was like, "Later that day." Like within meeting him. With a couple hours. Oh my god. Also disgusting. Something I didn't realize until when I was looking up Charlie Manson again. He was five foot two. So he's a short little man. Ang- short little angry man. Who was apparently God. Yeah. What the fuck? I, I don't know. I don't, I don't I understand don't things. I don't understand anything about anything. I hate cults. Period. End of Charlie Manson. Moral of the story is LSD is a hell of a drug. It honestly is. Don't do LSD, kids. Don't do drugs. Don't do drugs. Inlet, no, no, not gonna either. <laughs> Unless in the safety Inlet. of your own home, with <laughs> your mom, without and your yeah, priest. yeah, yeah, exactly. And someone's watching you and taking care of you the entire time. Um, yeah. So why don't you tell me something spoopy? I've got a lot of spoopy, and actually, there's a part of this that I am going to warn our listeners to skip ahead if they don't like um, terrible or. things. Uh, yeah, because it's gonna get a little, it's gonna get a little bad in here. So. Um, the last episode, which was titled Barbara, please. Barbara, please. Um, please I talked Barbara. about the Candyman. 
Uh, but I only talked about the essence of Dean Coral, which is the Candyman. Uh, so I talked about his past, his history, um, talked about the list of people that he murdered and like how he enticed them. And then I talked about his death. And that was where we stopped at because I wanted to talk about just Dean, Dean Coral. So now this episode, I want to talk about the aftermath of Dean Coral. Um, and so like basically how everything played out afterwards and understanding the investigations that went into it and why nothing really happened the entire four years that this was three years that this was going on. Um, so I kind of want to talk, talk about that. And the trials of Wayne Henley and David Burke. Correct. And so I don't really go too far into the trials um, just because it was very fast um i mean within yeah. 90 minutes for both of them that the jury had already decided but i do talk about like the the a little bit about it um i have information that i just listened to today because i was listening to my favorite murder mm-hmm. in minnesota mm-hmm. um, and they had two people write in about this story oh did they yeah oh that's awesome so okay. when when that comes up i'll, I'll okay excellent yeah no, that, i'm excited about it because i was actually going to mention the my favorite murder podcast at the very end when i'm talking about the police involvement so okay uh, i figured that's like a perfect time we can definitely talk about that um, so just a little bit of backstory. So Dean Coral was a man here in the uh, Houston Heights area um, in the ni- 1960s and 70s. So mostly the 70, early 70s, 70, 70, 1970 through 1973 was when all the murders happened. Uh, he killed a minimum of 28 young teenage boys um, that he abducted from different places around the Houston Heights, uh, which at the time was a uh, low-income area of Houston. And um, now it's definitely not quite that. Um, what is it now? <laughs> upper middle class yuppies. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yes. Mm-hmm. Oh, yes. It's definitely the suburbs, <laughs> according to Spencer. Uh, it, I, well, I mean, it is the suburbs. <laughs> Mark, my brother, if you're listening, you live in the suburbs. <laughs> you don't live in the city. I live in the city. <laughs> the inner loop is definitely not the this, this city anymore. Um, so uh, I wanted to say, uh, so what I wrote was this episode is a direct extension of The Candyman. Uh, since the episode was only based on Dean Quarrel and who he was, I wanted to take a minute to describe the aftermath involving the two other murderers, Wayne Henley and uh, David Owen Brooks. I also wanted to discuss the events that led to one of the worst crime events in Houston's history, also American history. Um, so, uh, yeah. So, the I mean, the backstory, like I was saying – killed 28 people uh he would entice these men into coming to his house for parties and you know anything like that smoking yeah exactly um and then he would uh uh, rape them murder them and then bury them in a boat shed um and so then at the end uh henley finally hit one of his accomplices uh finally got fed up with it after killing 28 of his friends um and shot him uh once in the head and it didn't kill him because it bounced off of his head um which how but also thick ass skull yeah whatever um and then shot him in the back until he died um so that's where this picks up uh, oh oh then henley got arrested um because he killed coral yeah and uh honestly would have probably gotten away with everything if he had just not said anything because they decided that it was he killed coral within self-defense after talking to the two people that were in the house with Henley, um, and nothing else was researched. Didn't didn't matter. Mm-hmm. Like I mean, no, nothing else was even questioned at the time. So that's where this picks up. So after the arrest, initially, uh, Wayne Henley was only questioned on the death of Dean Coral, continuing to state that he was acting in self defense. Uh, the statements given by Rhonda Williams, the girl that was there, and uh, Timothy Curley corroborated his statements. So they both were like, "Yep." Yeah, that's that's true. I mean, he shot him because this man was attacking us. Like, hands down. 
He explained that Coral was a pedophile and a murderer and would pay him money to lure boys into his home. So that's when he went wrong because he was like, yeah, I was involved. Like, this, this shit happened. Go check out in the bunk shed. We haven't gotten there yet. <laughs> so the police were initially very skeptical of his claims because they basically just looked at it and said, these are kids that were getting high on drugs in this guy's home. And, and uh, vagabonds on the street and yeah, the heights. Yeah. This is a respectable yeah, man. man of the community, exactly. And so they were like, they just they were in the middle of a drug stupor, and they probably had an argument, and he just shot him and yeah. in self defense because the man probably you know tried to attack him, whatever. Um, so even uh, Dean Coral's father, who owned the house, and his stepmother told a very different story, saying that Coral was not a homosexual or a violent person. Um, so they claimed that the teenagers took advantage of his generosity and, in a drug induced craze, had killed him. So they were blaming everything on the teenagers instead. Um, uh, and so then the police were like, okay. And so they were like, why would we believe these drug crazed teenagers over these, uh, you know, people who are defending a, a, a respectable man in this community who for three years had been killing people uh, secretly. So they were like, nah, I don't think these kids are telling the truth. So then they decided to start investigating inside of the home and the van. They found uh, items such as the floor covered in entirely plastic sheeting. Mm-hmm. Um, they found a large plywood torture board with handcuffs and nylon ropes attached to all four corners. Um, they found a very large hunting knife, several rolls of clear plastic, um, a portable radio with apparently something attached to to create like make it louder. So I guess to find out like I, I don't know what he was using this radio for, but I don't know if it was for you know listening. Police, yeah, yeah no, no idea. Um, an electric motor with loose wires attached, so obviously used for torturing. Um, uh, eight pairs of handcuffs. Why do you need that many handcuffs? Where do you get handcuffs? I don't know. <laughs> no idea where you just find these. Uh, a number of dildos and then thin glass tubes, lots of rope, and a large wooden crate with holes drilled in the sides. And then the pegboard of the van was rigged with several hooks and rings. Um, what are the glass tubes for? We will get there in the part that I disclaimed earlier. Um, oh, I yeah. Um, so, oh, yeah, I remember. Yeah, oh. yeah. Uh, Henley was very, very persistent. It was like, no, no, he killed people. I, I promise you he killed people. I know things. Um, and then agreed to accompany them to the bo- boat shed where he claimed that there was bodies of the victims buried. Um, so finally, on the afternoon of the 8th, after they discovered all the stuff inside the home, uh, Henley took the police to the boat shed. They were finally like, okay, fine, you can take us there. Um, so we get they get inside. And uh, inside was a half-stripped car uh, that had been stolen, that had been reportedly stolen in March. Uh, two bags of lime, which is a detergent essentially to break things down, mm-hmm. uh, organic materials down. Um, a large iron drum, and then a plastic bag full of teenage boys' clothes. And what year or what month is this? This is August. So it is steamy in there steamy. um but at the same time the, I mean, they had been covered with with dirt and lime as well which lime has a very strong scent yeah. um and so that kind of would probably take over maybe um some stench of humid bodies deteriorating well, in he didn't really bury them that deep no either. no well the more recent ones no um yeah. and so yeah we'll fo- yeah yes Everything I feel you're like saying. I'm grading your book report. Yeah, you're like mm, you didn't go far enough in. Well, okay, you forgot the part you, about that. Yeah, so, so we're getting there. One point off. I just wrote a very elaborate book report that you spelled your name wrong. So <laughs> it's it's Chris, not Coral. <laughs> <laughs> Shut up. 
I'm just saying. <laughs> the aftermath of Dean Chris. <laughs> Dean Chris. Um, so the police had, uh, is that where I stopped? Yeah. Police had two prison trustees. So trustees were, at the time, they were people who were in prison that were on good Spies. behavior. So they were allowed to work. No. Oh, no they no, were allowed no. to work. Um, uh, they, he had, they had them begin digging into the soon, uh, beginning, be, shit, digging in. Ah! <laughs> They begin digging into the dirt. I didn't put dirt in there. Um, And then soon discovered the body of a young blonde boy. So, like, they dug maybe inches into the dirt, found a layer of lime. They dug through the lime and found a plastic bag. And that's when they discovered a body of a blonde boy. Um, As they continued to unearth the boat shed, uh, they discovered more of the bodies in varying degrees of decomposition. Um, So, as you can imagine at that point, you know, opening plastic, rotting dead bodies, definitely feel filled the boat shed uh, this humid ass boat shed yeah. um i mean there was i was reading something and i write it down uh but there was an author I, his name's mentioned later in here um that wrote a book called the man with candy um and he's a very like well-established like true crime journalist um and he was writing it like from recollections of like the police and investigators that were part of this that they wrote that like the the stench was just like unimaginable. unimaginable, but they kept working because they were like fueled by um, a level of like, this needs to get figured out like fast. And so they kept on working, even though it was appalling to, to go through. Um, so most of the bodies that well, I also read that they had to take like breaks, like every 15 minutes because it was like 3000 degrees. Oh yeah. Yeah. Cause it's August in, in South Texas in a boat shed that is, not no ac at all made of metal, yeah so exactly it's so it's like just radiating heat exactly and it stunk uh and then also people were so like taken aback that uh, i read that a lot of the policemen like just had to vomit. step out to like cry and vomit like yeah. they were so fueled by like emotions of seeing these teenage boys just falling apart i have a quote later in here that i have to read that it's, it's a little intense um so most of the bodies had been found either had been shot or were strangled some with the object of strangulation still around their neck. Um, so this is where I give our warning. Um, uh, the warning, this part is gruesome. Uh, so skip ahead. You know, Spotify has the 15-second skip ahead, so I'll try and say it all in 15 minutes or 15 seconds so you don't have to hear it uh, or pause it if it's too much for you to handle. Um, and go. So the victims all showed evidence of sodomy. So, you know, something had happened to them sexually. Most had evidence of sexual torture, such as their pubic hairs had been plucked out. Genitals had been chewed on. uh, Objects had been inserted into their rectums. And glass rods had been inserted into their urethra and smashed. Was that less than 15 seconds? Yeah. Okay. So that was that. Um, and then the not as gruesome part, uh, cloth rags had been inserted into their mouths and taped around their heads to muffle their screams. Uh, not written, but one of their victims was found with their mouth so agape that they believed that he died while screaming uh, because his teeth were like bearing like uh, open. Like his mouth was open so that they could see both his front like uh, top teeth and his bottom teeth like very visibly um, so that they theorized that he was screaming while he died. Yeah. Um, So just on the day of August 8th, so this is the same day that Henley turned himself in, eight bodies had been covered in the boat shed. Uh, So then they stopped working in the evening or in the, in the nighttime. So by midnight, that's when they had found eight, by by that time they had found eight bodies. (sighs) Sorry. Reading that part gave me just shakes. (laughs) You want some more wine? Yes. (laughs) Okay. Action. 
Okay, so we took our break so that I could cool off after that because, uh, like I was telling Spencer, whenever I researched that, I was um, a little, like, what the fuck? Like, cringy. So I just had to take a break real fast. So we're back. Uh, Barbara's here. She's petting Chris. Yes, it's fine. Just pet my finger. or The finger pets me slowly. Oh, um, Yeah, so even though we like spoopy stuff, spoopy stuff can still get us a little... Um, yeah, I don't know if that's spoopy. Yeah, that's just fucked up. Because my definition of spoopy is something that's horrific that we try to make funny. Up. Yeah, there's no, there's the, you no can't, doing it. That's, for that. Yeah, that's, that's not possible. Straight up whore. Yeah, yeah. So that's not even crappy or spoopy. That's just whore. Yeah, whore, whore. whore. It's just whore. Whore. <laughs> whore. Just Chris every Saturday night. Whore. whore. <laughs> yep. Um, so, oh, his name's Jack Olson, the one that I was just talking about. Um, oh, okay. So yeah, what I say the. Day of August 8th, eight bodies had been uncovered. Um, Jack Olson. Of tr- Mary-Kate and Ashley Olson fame? Uh, Dad, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, a, a true crime journalist at the time described the police reaction to this day. Uh, quote, un- open quotes. They had, s- hold on. They had all seen death, but none had encountered the wholesale transfiguration of rollicking boys into reeking sats of carrion. Well, how do you spell rollicking? They said rollicking, so I think I don't know what that word means. I, I assume like happy-go-lucky boys. Maybe frolicking boys. No, there was no F on it. I copied it exactly from Murderpedia. Hey, Jack Olson, uh, if you're listening, what does that mean? He's dead. We'll never know. <laughs> the world will Google it. No, we can't. Okay. <laughs> hey Google, what does rollicking mean? I was right. I used context clues. <laughs> I mean, it sounds more like frolicking. Yeah. It sounds like whatever website you got it from is misspelled frolicking. I got it from Murderpedia. You get everything from Murderpedia. I don't get everything from Murderpedia. You basically okay? do. Because I also went to um, the famoustrials.com. <laughs> oh, my God. Okay. Well, rollicking means enthusiastic and lively. Okay. So. We should give a shout out to Murderpedia. Thank you, Murderpedia. Murderpedia. <laughs> You want to sponsor You're us? You're the real bitch. <laughs> you want to pay us to <laughs> use your website? <laughs> it's a free service. Oh, They're not going to. <laughs> well, Wikipedia was yelling at me, at me today about paying hey. them money. Yeah. Like, if everyone just gave me $3, we'd be okay for years. <laughs> Come on, guys. <laughs> and I'm like, mm, later. <laughs> I'm sure once Wikipedia like actually shuts down, everyone's going to be like, fuck. <laughs> what do we do now? <laughs> How do we get our information? <laughs> it goes like immediately to Congress to sponsor it. Yeah. Congress is like, let me go in. We can put stuff at the bottom now. <laughs> Wikipedia. The Republican database. Oh, God. <laughs> Everything would be fake news. Yeah. <gasps> oh, and a, and a, <laughs> anyways. Um, so, yeah, they basically said that the police were like, they're looking at these boys that were young and full of life, basically turned into sacks of meat. Um, so in Ugh. the, that's what carrion means. Sacks of carrion. Carrion is like uh, yeah, dead don't need to say cow carcasses. Okay, sorry. That's what it was. <laughs> um, in the evening of... He said that, too. Yeah, Jack Olson wrote that. Hey, Jack Olson, they were people. He's he's dead. Which is why he's here to listen to me. Okay, it's fine. Uh, in the evening of August 8th, accompanied by his dad, David Owen Brooks presented himself to the Houston police station where he denied any participation in the murders, but knew that Coral had raped and murdered two teenage boys in 1970. 
hey, listen, I don't have anything to do with this, but yeah. it's 100% true. Yeah. So this is where the part gets real fun. This is kind of what I was talking about earlier about having the, the witnesses separate from each other. Yeah. Uh, on August 9th, the morning of August 9th, police wanted to talk to Henley again. Having heard that Brooks had made a statement, it led Henley to admit his complete involvement. So Brooks came in, and they just like, yeah, Brooks came in and told us everything. You know, that this is what's happening. So Henley was like, oh, no, no, like, I'll, I'll do it. I'll tell you everything. Like, I'll, I'll speak. Um, so Henley gave a full written statement entailing his involvement with nine murders and the assist in strangulation of several others, only giving three names of those that Brooks was not involved in. Uh, the police basically said he, quote unquote, couldn't stop talking. Like at that point, he just kept on going on and going on and going on. He's um, got a lot of material. Oh, yeah. He's got a lot to talk about. He's got three years of murders, four years of murders He's to Jasmine go. Masters, and yeah. He has something to say. He has lots of things to say. Um, so that afternoon, Henley took the police to Lake Sam Rayburn, where they found the bodies of the four Brooks and Henley had buried there. Two additional bodies were also found in shallow graves uh, inside the cabin. Uh, owned by Coral, they found another torture board, rolls of plastic sheeting, a sack of lime, and shovels. Uh, this indicated that Coral may have been taking use to his cabin without Brooks and Henley, uh, Brooks and Henley's knowledge, meaning the death count could definitely be higher. Yeah. Um, at the boat shed uh, during the same day on August 9th, um, an additional nine bodies in advanced states of decomposition were found that day as they continued excavating. So, like you said last time, they had a full, like, excavator there to, like, pull, pull bodies, bodies out, out essentially. Um, some of the victims showed evidence of sexual mutilation, as we talked about. And by that, I mean, like, they cut off their genitals. Mm. Um, in the evening, uh, Brooks finally gave his full confession, admitting to being present at several killing, killings and assisted in burials while still denying his direct involvement with any of the murders. So he's like, I didn't kill anyone. I just buried them. I just knew what was happening and like help bring boys to him and uh, help bury them. But like, I didn't kill anyone. Um, I don't see how that's any better. It's not. It's not. That's what, like when I was talking about like Kasabian just a second ago, like she knew this was all happening. So like, I feel like she should, in some way, I mean, I guess it's not quite the same because he was luring he was these people. Yeah, it. and I'm sure that he helped kill them too. Oh yeah, no, Wayne definitely. Henley helped him yeah. kill them. So yeah. why wouldn't he? Yeah, exactly. Mm. So, in his statement regarding the torture board, he's quoted saying, "Once they were on the board, they were as good as dead. It was all over, but the shouting and the crying. So, like, he knew that once they got up on the board, there's no saving them. They're all dead." Um, so the next day, on August 10th, mind you, this is two days after Coral's death, uh, Henley accompanied police again to Lake Sam Rayburn, where they found two additional bodies. That afternoon, afternoon, both Henley and Brooks accompanied the police to High Island Beach, where two bodies were found in shallow graves. High Island? What did I say? That sounded like High Island. High Island. Yes, yeah, sorry. High Island. Highland. Highland. But that's on Bolivar Peninsula, isn't it? Uh, I think so. I no. think that's what we were talking about, yeah. Um, what was I? Oh. Localities of Texas podcast. There you go. We're gonna get into ooh, get into some more. I'm just like, no, am I? Maybe. No, I think that's it. Mm, I might have listed something. Um. Anyways, so on August 13th, they returned to High Island Beach. So this is three days after that, where an additional four bodies were found. 
this brought the body count to 27 victims, uh, the worst case of serial murder at the time, surpassing Juan Corona, who had 25 known victims until John Wayne Gacy surpassed this on 1978 with 33 known murders. And he's quoted with saying that he was um, encouraged, basically, by Dean Coral. Like, after the media took hold of this in, the, in 1973, he basically was like, oh, if he can do it, I can do it. Like, and he was, like, he was, dude, what's the word I'm looking for? Not encouraged. In, he was. Uh, Inspired. Yeah. There we go. Um, so, on August 13th, that day, the search for additional bodies was terminated by police. So, this is not even five days after the initial bodies were found. Police were like, we're done. Uh, Hinley claims that there were uh, two more bodies in the boat shed and two more bodies on uh, that he knew of on High Island Beach. Um, High Island Beach. I'm just like merging all those words. Highland Beach. Highland Beach. Um, despite Hinley's claims, uh, so basically, police were like, "Well, we've already passed the number of the the most murders, uh, so like, there's no point of us looking any further. No point of looking for dead children anymore. Yep. So I'll there's get to that. obviously more, but. We don't need yeah, to know because no, no, he's guilty. Either. Yeah, and he, yeah, there's already enough dead bodies, essentially. So we've already got enough for all of this, enough evidence, essentially. So why do we need to search more? Mm. That was basically their, their mindset. Um, Trash. Yeah, exactly. So the indictment, uh, Hinley was indicted on six counts of murder. Brooks was on four. Uh, they were tried separately and using Cur- Tim Curley's testimony and Billy Reidinger as a witness. Do you remember Billy Reidinger? So Billy Reidinger was one of the youths that was enticed by Brooks and Coral back to his house that Brooks convinced Coral to release. Uh, so somehow this kid got out, didn't yeah, tell anyone that. for a long period of time, um, and then is now being used as evidence. Um, Henley was found guilty for six murders uh, and Brooks for one. They're both serving life sentences. They're both still alive. Um because they were, what, 15 in the 70s? I think Wayne Henley was 17 when he was arrested. Okay. And Br- David Brooks was a year older, so he was like 18. 18, yeah. So, I mean, that was in 73, so they're only a few years older than my parents, so they're in their 60s now. Yeah. So they're still alive. Probably in Huntsville. They're, they're, they're being, they were in Huntsville. I think I looked at it. They're in two different jails in Texas here. They're both in Texas. Mm-hmm. Um but they're both serving life sentences. I think they it said multiple times they had gone up for parole and they just keep getting denied. And one of the families, I can't remember if it's the Waldrops, the Winkles, or the uh, Balshas, but one of the families shows up every single time that they're up for parole to make sure they don't. Probably the Balshas. I don't. I don't remember who it is, but I can. I can I mean I can look it up. But uh, they're there every single time to make sure that they like keep them there, keep them there. exactly. Um, so all together, so once this came out, uh, once news this came out, so that was the only thing I talked about with, for their trial because I just figured that, that they're in jail. They're I guess I could tell you that part yeah. now. So um, on my, my Favorite Murder, they had a hometown mm-hmm. of uh, this guy that lived here in Houston. Well, I guess he might still live here in Houston. But his <clears throat> dad was a reporter for KHOU, uh-huh. um, Channel 2. That's our local news station. And... He went down to the uh, beach whenever they were... Um, the beach or the boat shed? The beach. The beach, okay. Maybe the boat shed. Probably the boat shed. Okay. So, and then... Because that's where all the media went. So, like, whenever they're doing all the excavating... So, they were taking Hinley and Brooks to, like, Sam Rayburn and High Island, but, like, all the excavating was still happening at the boat shed. So, everyone flooded that on the 8th and the 9th. So, Wayne Henley shows them where 
I think it's the beach. I think That's he fine. went to the beach and they he said it's over there. And then um, Wayne Henley asked to use a telephone. And so this reporter had a car phone at the time, which was unheard of. Unheard of. of. Yeah. So he asked to use the phone. So he used this guy's car phone and phoned his mom. And he says, Mama, I killed Dean. So that would have had. And they got her, the uh, the mom's recording on there, too, because it was his car phone. Yeah. We'll have to go look for it. Yeah, we'll have to because uh, I feel like the um, if he would if he was trying to avoid the media or her, his mom finding out on the media before um, if he was trying to tell her before she found out by the media then it would have had to been the um, boat shed because he went to the boat shed on the eighth and then it, where did he go yeah boat shed on the eighth and then the ninth took them to Lake Sam Rayburn so it would have had to been the boat shed because they didn't go to the high island beach until the 13th hmm. no no 10th they went on the 10th so it would have been had had to been two days after so she would have heard of probably heard about it by then yeah so it would have had to been the boat shed there I'm was, just deducing but there was that one and then another person said that they were uh, latchkey kids in the 70s mm-hmm. this 12 year old and his two friends they lived in spring mm-hmm. um, or maybe spring branch which is spring branch is right to the west of spring the heights branch, then okay so Spring Branch and this guy pulls up in a white van and he's like 18 or so and starts talking to these kids and he's like, you all want to go to a party? And the, we got weed and we got girls and they were like, no, we don't want to. So that was definitely the Candyman. That was David Brooks. Yeah, well, yeah, that's what I mean. Like definitely part of this whole thing. Yeah. So he was about to entice these children to go. He was about go. to abduct them. Holy shit. And they were ones that now wrote in to the... My Fair Murder. Oh, my God. Yeah. That's terrifying. Yep. And the guy was like, I'm 12, and I don't even like girls yeah. yet. Yeah. I don't and know I don't if I like know girls. Yeah. Is. Yeah. Oh, my God. But none of them went, so... Wow. Yeah. So they remember basically being enticed to go do this and... Have a party, Yeah. yeah. And could have been victims of and Dean Corll. Spring Branch. It's right next to. Oh Heights. yeah, and I mean, several of the people had come from Spring Branch. Yeah. So, and I mean, at one point, Dean Corll lived just north of Spring Branch because he lived in uh, off of Mangum Road. So, Mangum. What did I say? Mangum. It's the same thing. It's Mangum. It doesn't matter. Okay, so moving on. So all together, so like I said, whenever the media got a hold of this, like the news just kind of went wild from there. Uh, so altogether, apparently between the times of all these murders, so September of 1970 to August of 73, um, 42 boys had been reported missing. So we only have 28 dead. Well, at this time, only 27, 27 had been found. Uh, more were uh, another was found later, um, but uh, 42 had been reported gone this entire time. So it's possible that uh, more people more of these 42 missing boys could have been victims and no one knows um so following the findings houston police were flooded with requests from hundreds of parents around the houston area outside of the heights uh so so the 42 boys was just in the heights area so around the houston area um hundreds of parents were like we're are are missing our guys are missing yeah our boys are are missing dating back to the late 60s as well uh so the police were just not interested in continuing these searches so everyone who came in they were just like nope we've already got enough deaths we don't need any more of this this case is closed you know we're done um welcome Uh, welcome to houston um 
So there are also claims by employees of Coral during uh, the before the candy shop closed in 1968 uh, that Coral was seen doing a lot of digging around the candy company prior to the company going out of business in 1968. Um, to which Coral stated he was burying spoiled candy to avoid contamination of insects. These areas he later cemented over. Um, he, yeah, because you can't just throw candy away. No, exactly. Um, he would, uh, especially if there's like actual people taking the waste away. Yeah, you, you live in Houston. Yeah, exactly. You don't um, live in Woodville, Texas. Yeah, where you don't have a trash pickup. Um, so he just burn it outside in a pit. Yeah. So, yeah, that was – I was just like, you, how is that believable? That was I my Maureen voice. Did you get it? No. Who's Maureen? The old voice that Katya puts on for us. Oh, yeah. I just put my money in a pit <laughs> and then I <laughs> – And I light it on fire. <laughs> no, I didn't get that. I'm sorry. Um, well, I haven't seen – You need uh, to listen, okay? I don't watch YouTube videos all day long. Oh, I'm just kidding. That's mean. <laughs> Neither do I. Thank you. It's just 80% of the day. Our intern, Ron and Thomas, just cackled. And Barbara's angry. Barbara just said, She doesn't have a voice, but oh. she's angry. Yeah, she's just squeaking along. We're telekinetically connected. To a finger. A mannequin finger. Mm-hmm. Yep. This my, is where I keep my emotions. Making my neck twitch. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's her. Um, she's doing it. She, she's the one mind control? Yeah. My, she. Uh, do it, Barbara. It's <laughs> like twist my head around. So Chris is gone, guys. But he's dead. Um, now I, the ghost of Chris is now continuing. Uh, so yeah, like I said, police were just not interested in claiming. Oh yeah. Um, so he later cemented over that uh, he was also seen digging in waste grounds, so places where trash was just thrown out, uh, which is apparently now a p- car park. Uh, what's a car park? A parking, a parking lot. lot? Why? Who wrote that? A British a person? northern thing. Yeah. I call it the car park. Okay, so what northerner was doing research on Houston? Uh, anyway, it doesn't matter. Jack uh, Olson. Oh, you're right. He's from Chicago. Um, got him. Uh, so yeah, for- I just hit a fly. That's what it sounds. <laughs> I got, got it! <laughs> um... So, former employees of the Coral Candy Company also saw him with large rolls of plastic, the same that was used to wrap the bodies in. So, they always saw this stuff happening. Who is he? Where is he getting all this stuff? Like I don't he's know. going and getting plastic sheeting Th- all the time. Was he an Amazon Prime customer before Amazon even existed? Uh, there. What do they say? You sure do buy a lot of this. You got a lot of plastic. Um, so then former co-workers at the electric company also noticed that Coral would retain nylon cords that would normally be discarded. Uh, the same nylon cords were the same brand found still tied around some of the victims' necks. So all these people saw this unusual behavior and just like, Oh, you just taking that trash that you're gonna wrap around someone's neck? It's fine. They're probably just like he's got a lot of projects to yeah. do at home. We got all, like all that plastic. He must be doing something intense. So he's probably an artist. Yeah, exactly. That's my southern '70s voice. He's a artist. Oh my god. Oh my god. lord. My bless my lucky bless stripes. Bless his heart. <laughs> he's just out there making art. He's doing the most with it. Um, so. These claims lead to the belief that Coral began murdering way earlier than September 1970 when Brooks came into the picture. Additionally, there are two long gaps in the recollection of Brooks and Henley before Coral had his quote-unquote bloodlust episode that they were like, oh, my God, he's, you know, gone crazy. We can tell when he's anxious for another boy. 
so there was two like long gaps uh, in like I think it was summer of seventy two through seventy no seventy one through seventy two beginning of seventy two and then the winter like January of seventy three until summer of seventy three I think were the long gaps um, if I remember correctly so that was when Coral and Brooks were not involved or I'm sorry Hindley and Brooks were not really involved with Coral uh, so they don't know if he actually killed anyone else. Um, which is highly possible. Oh, I'm sure it did happen. Oh, 100%. Um, so additionally, torture objects were also found at Lake Sam Rayburn, like I had mentioned, where Brooks and Henley did not mention any murders to have taken place. So he had these objects there to bury dead bodies with lime, shovels, plastic wrap, and his torture board. So it's 100% likely that he was luring on boys. a fishing trip up there. Yeah, took some boys out to a lake that he had a lake house on, uh, you know, enticing them that way, and killed them there. Um, we have no idea. Uh, so since Coral was killed on the night of August 8th, we do not know the exact number of deaths that fell victim to Dean Coral. Um, so that's kind of where I finished talking about like the deaths and stuff like that. Cause I mean, it's true that, I mean, between like Sam Rayburn, between these different, I mean, we're only getting the recollection recollections of Brooks and Hinley. And since we don't have anything to hear from Dean Coral, I mean, this number could have been double, triple. I mean, we have no idea. I mean, they were saying that hundreds of people around the Houston area were claiming that their teenage boys went missing. And I mean, it was just echoes of hearing things like, uh, letters had been sent home and like phone calls last minute and all this other stuff that like was just never reported to the police or it was reported to the police. Hold on. Let's get to that. Hold on. The next part that I'm talking about is the police involvement or lack thereof. Mm. Um, so in the seventies, Houston was a rapidly growing city, much like it is now. Uh, is this when they started calling it Boomtown? I don't know. I didn't, didn't read that. might've been, I think it's the seventies. You can ask. Ask Google. Because Boomtown is the name of a coffee shop right around here. So that, that makes sense. I just had a, a friend that used to live, or yeah, sh- uh, she used to live like South Houston, like Nicola and, mm-hmm. and near Pearland. Yeah. And they, she'd always lived here, but she always talked about how so many people moved in in the 70s. No, because I mean, Houston was oil exploding. Was like, yeah. Boom. Yeah. It was massive. Yeah. And that's probably why Boomtown's logo is a oil. Oh, oil spit. What are they called? Oil spigot? Was it it's not spigot? What's the word I'm looking for? It'll hit me in the middle of the night, I promise. Yeah. I'll wake up. What? Like the thing that looks like the Eiffel Tower? Spindletop. Spindletop. That's the word I was looking for. That, that is. That's. Yes. <laughs> Thank you, former Exxon employee. We appreciate you. He went to Texas Man, right? <gasps> did he? Oh my God, I did too. How, how <gasps> what? weird. What? Oh my God. What? <laughs> You should tell everybody. Ugh. No. I'm almost there. Boomtown Houston. Why don't you just Google Boomtown Houston? I did, and it oh. keeps bringing up the coffee oh, shop. Oh, damn it. Uh, blah, 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 blah. 1836. That's definitely not it. Why don't you Google nicknames of Houston? See if Boomtown shows up. Uh, I'm almost there. Space on City. One page. 60s saw a dramatic increase in establishment of divisional and service headquarters by some of the nation's largest corporations in Houston. City's economic c- continued to diversify. It became increasingly more international. Foreign trade almost grew, grew it to almost one half of the port of Houston's total tonnage by 1970. By Still, 1970. Can't you just tell me what I want? <laughs> tell me things. Just let me know. Well, I mean, if it grew at the end of the 60s and into the 70s, like that goes into what I was talking about. 
where there was uh, so much rapid growth that there was just not enough police per capita uh, to keep up to keep the crime rate low. So crime like skyrocketed in Houston. So when people, excuse me, brought up any sort of missing persons report, uh, they were just like, "Okay, cool. We have people murdering each other in the city, so we're gonna you know look at other things." Because um, they they were immediately not going to connect missing persons with murder. They were like, "Someone ran away." That they'll if we they were like if anyone reports that they saw them at school we'll let you know and we'll question them but elsewhere well, I don't care like we've got actual crime corruption you know shit like that happening that is, are a little bit more important so uh, especially in a low income community that whenever a missing person was like oh someone is you know whatever uh, they were just like he's he ran away he, okay cool go look for him like have fun uh, so the biggest uh, push back from this were like we talked from the last uh, podcast a little bit were David Hilligai's uh, family okay. and then uh, Gregory Winkle. Uh, both of those, uh, so David Hilligai's and uh, Gregory Winkle went to a community pool and never came back. Um, and so when the police told them that they had ran away, they were like, fuck no. Why would they run away with just swimming attire, no money, no other clothes? Like, that makes no sense. They would not run away like that. Uh, so the Hilla guys, were, when they were just adamant with the police, finally a policeman was like, I've got a quote here. A policeman told them, uh, times had changed. Boys were running away from the best homes nowadays and said that he would have to, they would have to list David in the runaway uh, classification. No, there would not be an official search for the child, but if he were spotted during school hours, he would be stopped and questioned. That was all the law allowed. A runaway was not a criminal. So they just said, we've got criminals. It's a minor. Yeah. I, that would be my question. There's a teenage boy, two teenage boys missing, and both the parents are furious about it from good homes. They're like, no, our child wouldn't just run away. And so they're like, mm, kids are running away from the best homes nowadays. What does it matter? Hmm. Yeah. Um, so Mrs. Winkle, then that evening, got a call from Greg, uh, which was most likely forced by Coral, at midnight – and told her that they were in Freeport swimming with friends. And she was furious at him. Like, why would you be 60 miles away in Freeport? And he was like, don't worry. We're just having fun. Like, apparently to her. And that was the end of the call. So, the next day, the Hilligeist and the Winkles drove to Freeport, passed out flyers, asked for assistance, were searching everywhere in Freeport. Which I'm assuming Freeport at the time, I mean, even now it's a tiny town. Even back then, I'm assuming it's even smaller. Where so is it? It's just past Baytown, or it's on it's, the other side of the channel. You go down 288, and it's, like, down down there. Okay. Yeah. So it's, like, south of Galveston, like, Victoria. on the main mainland. Yeah. No, not quite to Victoria. It's, like, directly south of Houston. It's, like, you just follow 288 all the way down, and there's Freeport hmm. to the coast. Um, so it's, like, southwest of Galveston. South of Fairbanks. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Localities um, of Houston. There you go. <laughs> That's, I told you there was going to be more localities of Houston. Um so they drove down to Freeport and just they found nothing. Um, and so then at that point, four other families got involved. Uh, so the uh, Aguirre's, uh, the Watsons, the Delomes, and the Balshes um, all began questioning the police uh, who marked all of them as, as runaways and conducted no investigation. So all of them were like, okay, our children also disappeared. And like these children wouldn't run away because they're all good kids and they come from you know good families. So I don't understand. So – the Balshes, mind you, this is the 
their first son that went missing because the Balshas lost both their children. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this is the point that I think you were talking about the last episode when Dean Quarrel befriended the other Balsh and then took him. Yeah. Um, because the Balsh has got a weird message from their son about working in Madisonville for a trucking company, uh, which they didn't believe. The reason why they didn't believe it is because the father worked for a trucking company and knew because they were saying that they were driving trucks from Madisonville up to Washington. Um, and the dad was like, I drive trucks. That's not a route that trucks take. That's not a thing. Um, so they were like, yo, dogs, to the police. And were very insistent. They're like, our child is not driving trucks. Something's happening. What the fuck is happening? So the police did not help them, so they took matters into their own hands. So they remember that uh, the uh, Billy, I think his name was Billy Balsh, um, <clears throat> was involved with uh, David Owen Brooks, who was selling him marijuana, and then knew that he was hanging out with Brooks at Coral's Candy Shop. And so the dad was like, uh, at the time, was like, they shouldn't, oh, oh, oh. also, when they asked uh, Billy about him hanging out at the Coral Shop, uh, he was asked, like why oh, he told them they were playing with um, handcuffs at Coral's house. And uh, the dad was like, it's weird for a man in his thirties to be playing with children, half his age, less than half his age. Yeah. Um, and so he the entire time was like worried about the situation. And so they questioned Brooks originally because he had sold them marijuana and knew that he was kind of a bad egg. Uh, and he was like, I don't know what you're talking about. And so then they were like, uh, you know what? Let's go question Coral. So Coral was like apparently super respectful, super polite, and super sy- sympathetic. Like, oh my God, I didn't know he was missing. Like, you know, what can I do to help kind of thing? And all this other stuff. Just like super like gentleman, like sweetheart of this, like psychotic. That's maniacal to me. Yeah. Um, and so I, that's why I think I didn't write anything. But I guess like after listening to our episode again, I was like, okay, Spencer talked about this. So. I think that's where he became became friends with the younger. Yeah, exactly. Became friends with the younger one and uh, then subsequently killed him as well. Um, So then even after the reports of the events came out and I said hundreds of people came forward, the police still refused to continue more searches for any of these children. So despite all of this shit, the police were like, nah. Um, so this is where I kind of I didn't write this down, but I kind of wanted to go into like the uh, from the my favorite murder episode that you and I listened to. Um, they had talked about like the police chief was like one of those good old boys from the you know World War Two that was like I'm always right and like nothing goes against me and like I said what I said kind of thing and you know nothing else is gonna change. And so he <coughs> hated that all of this had happened underneath him. And he just, like, refused to help and do anything else. He was just like, I'm the one in charge. Like, no matter what I say, like, everything that I say goes. So, uh, I just, I, I don't understand. Yep. We meet those people every day. That's yeah, true. I mean, you're in Texas, especially. Mm-hmm. I mean, people still live like that nowadays. And so, uh, he just. Ooh, I have a story for you after. We can't put it on here. Okay. <laughs> okay, cool. Um, so, I'm going to end with a quote. Uh, this comes from Detective David Mullikin, uh, who was p- a part of all of this. This was back. He was ap- apparently interviewed in April of 2011. Oh, mind you, one thing I forgot to write: April there, of 2011. Yes, there were still searches going on until 2008. Uh, I mean, even now, like there's still like searches and stuff like that that goes on. Um, so, with all those house buildings in the Heights. Well, what did I say? I said that there was stuff like he would stuff cemented over. Um, so I mean, he lived right across the street from the Kenny Company was right across the street from Helms Elementary. Yeah, I'm thinking there's bodies all underneath those townhomes. Mm-hmm. Like, is that not creepy? Because um, how big was the candy factory? I think it was. I it was, mean, it was just good, like a house size. No, 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 it was a pretty good size. Yeah, uh, from what I understand, it was a, a. I mean, he had a whole like back lot 
available for the kids to play in and like all this i mean he had a lot of room he had an apartment on top of it i mean it was a, oh. from what it seems like a large factory to make the candy those are townhomes now yeah i imagine do you have to dig deep to find to dig a foundation for a townhome not really from what i understand you don't really have to go that deep for a foundation yeah we're gonna go there and ask people <laughs> hello have you ask. found a body or any bones <laughs> Hey, can I just go around in your backyard with this metal detector really quickly? I'm just going to go try and find bodies. It's fine. Don't mind me. <laughs> I'm just digging holes. It's fine. Um, yeah, so I thought that was my exact thought. Um, they apparently, they never found, what's his first name? Mark? Mark Scott, maybe? Mike? Something Scott. Um, he was apparently one of the bodies that has not been identified down, that was buried on High Island Beach. They found one of them in the 19... 1986 or 87 don't quote me on any of these days but they found one of the bodies of the two that uh by accident someone was on the beach and found a body essentially like part parts of a body was it the i mean no i was telling you about a story when we went over it last where there was this family that was camped out on Bolivar peninsula and then all the police started to show up and they well i guess they weren't digging <clears throat> But I don't remember I said it anyway. I don't so remember that story. So a family but... that was just like hanging out on Bolivar Peninsula, and they come in with that excavator, and the family's like, what's going on? <laughs> hey, we need to and they're like, we're looking for bodies, and the family was like, okay, we're going to go. No, that <laughs> was probably what's ha- what was happening in the 73 whenever they first started the search for bodies. I'm talking about okay. like 12 years later that they found this body just rambling on the beach, or parts of a body, and it was like one of the two – bodies or supposedly one of the two bodies that uh henley had said is still there before the police terminated the search mm-hmm. uh another one of the bodies in the same area had not been found because police terminated the search but apparently that part of highland beach is now underwater because of uh hurricane ike um in 2008 so that like submerged the little area mm-hmm. um because you know move a lot Moved of sand, around. sand yeah. around yeah um so that's underwater and then what else i want to say I mean, there's apparently still bodies potentially in the boat shed, b- bodies apparently in different areas of Houston, bodies at say Lake Sam Rayburn. And like, he lived in Pasadena for some time. Yeah, exactly. Probably bodies in Yeah, Pasadena. he lived in Pasadena during a period of time that uh, Henley was not involved with him, so there's apparently possibly bodies in Pasadena too. So, I mean, all of this stuff happened for years. Um, probably almost 10 years, to be completely honest. They're probably still looking. Yeah, yeah. And so, I mean, they're, they're still – like different bodies who have still not been identified and all that shit there. Uh, so I wanted to end with a quote uh, by the, what I said, David, Detective David Mulliken. Um, uh, how that man was able to go out to that storage shed time after time and bury one more dead boy is something I'll never understand. You get close to evil like that no matter how long ago it was and it never leaves you. Shit's fucked up. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, uh, if he hadn't been killed, I don't think he would have ever stopped. No. He would have initially, he would have eventually gotten caught. Yeah. And, uh. Well, imagine if that Henley hadn't stood up against him. He would have killed all three of them. Then we have one witness that's already dead. Yeah. And then Brooks is the only one that's left. How long would he have done it? And I mean, if he were never killed when he was caught. Would he have admitted to all of them? No. Would we know an actual number? Then? Would he remember them? Would he be able to remember Probably all of them? Probably not. I don't know. That's wild. Yeah. Um, so we're an hour and 45 minutes in. Woo! <laughs> Shit. So, hope you guys enjoyed this long podcast. It's two episodes. <laughs> I like uh, whenever we're like, oh, it, you know, we're just going to do a recap. And now it's yeah, like, initially this was a mini-so. Yeah. 
which is supposed to be half of this. Half an hour. Yeah. Half an so. hour to 45 minutes. Well. <laughs> we um, did quite the opposite. You know, I mean, I hope that you guys all uh, <laughs> enjoyed yourselves. No. No, don't, don't enjoy listening to our podcast. No, do. But don't. Like our podcast, <laughs> but don't like the topics. No. <laughs> just come back. Just come, Please just keep coming back. We appreciate when you come back. Um, yeah, I mean, I I guess my comments about this whole thing is I wanted to be able to wrap up both those stories because both those stories um, couldn't be done. Couldn't in one be episode. done. No. Well, they could be done in one episode, but if one it was of just us would one, not be yeah, exactly. And um, I can't have that. Yeah, I need to talk. And they were both very dark points of American history. Like, yeah. I mean, true crime history, just American history, because like, I mean, that was a cult that was destroying people's lives in California, mm-hmm. and this was destroying youths. In Houston, I mean, many more than we even know. Yeah. <sighs> Rough times. Sometimes this <laughs> podcast really <laughs> gets to you. It gets to you. <laughs> so, uh, shout out to our sponsor, Economy Works. <laughs> uh, Economy Works helps to pair professionals with project work. Uh, if you're looking for an employee that can uh, do your marketing for you, maybe your books, or if you're somebody that wants to do projects on a project by project basis, uh, hit up economyworks.com. Because when we work... The economy works. Oh, shit. We're supposed to say that again. When we work... <laughs> the, the economy, economy works. works. Okay. <laughs> and then uh, go, go, please go to our Instagram and our Twitter. Um, our oh, Google. we only plug it one time. I know. This is a one... One time. Savannah, are you proud of us? <laughs> She's like, finally. <laughs> finally. <laughs> That's our spoopy podcast at Instagram.com and Facebook.com. And, and our spoopy on Twitter.com. Also at our spoopy podcast.com. <laughs> So, uh, wait, wait, give wait. Us a like. What about our, our sister podcast? Oh, we got to give a shout out to Let's, Let's Talk, Talk About, about Gay Stuff. Uh, the podcast that talks about today or this week in gay, gay history. history. Um, really good information there. Also, follow them on Instagram and Facebook at Let's Talk About Gay Stuff and Twitter at Talk Gay Stuff. Uh, they put out a uh, daily, daily memorandum of an event in gay history and it's it's uh it's pretty pretty lit it's very thorough yeah and very informative and uh it's something that we should all know more about absolutely so uh without further ado we'd like to thank our intern thomas we'd, we'd like also... to thank our intern thomas and barbara well barbara writes our stories we've got ron who's always doing everything for us except for filling my wine glass when i need it ron but... ron 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 get over here and um, I guess all that we have left to say is that we should probably get, get spoopy, spoopy with it. it.